Blog Talk Radio. Okay, folks. Come on, pre-recorded show. Pre-recorded show, everybody.
So everybody, hopefully you enjoyed that. That was a song by uh, the choir in Demona, and um, that song is called Listen. Uh, I like that song. That would probably be the song I would say would be my, um, if I had an anthem, that would have to be it. I like that because that's what this show is all about, putting the word out there, but we need everybody to listen. That don't mean I know everything. I got all the answers. That's a joke. But I know somebody that's got all the answers. I know the answer. Or I should say I know someone that is the answer. So uh, that's all we're trying to do, folks, just trying to enlighten people about things that uh, we learn from time to time. And I say we a lot because I'm always thinking about other people that contribute to this show. It's not just a my thing. It's mostly my thing. I must admit I, I, I do make the calls. But many of y'all have uh, contributed over the years, and uh, I've just learned to say ours. So anyway, welcome to another episode of Five Smooth Stones. And uh, I'm going to have to remember to quit saying blog talk radio because these shows are uh, being played on other, are going to be start to be played on other venues as well. And I've got to stop saying uh, <laughs> blog talk radio. I may decide to go on some other venue. The show is already on iTunes and some other things, so... But if I ever venture out to YouTube like I'm planning on doing very soon, uh, all these shows will have the name Blog Talk on it. So, But anyway, folks, how's everybody doing? Hopefully everybody's doing very well. Hopefully y'all uh, got a chance to be a part of the solution today. And I'm not just being religious. When I say that, I really mean being a part of the solution. We've got so many people that are part of the problem. So many folks out there that don't sold their souls. You know, everybody talk about doing something for the family and doing something for the teens and doing something for the children and doing something for the poor, but everybody ain't ready. Everybody that's in a position to give, um, everybody in a position to be a blessing to family, everybody that's in a position to be a blessing to society, uh, some of the wealthier people in our country, I'm talking about the movers and shakers right now, a lot of them folks ain't ready, and they are part of the problem. And so tonight, when I say I hope you serve humanity well, this meaning I hope you was led by the Spirit. And I hope the people you help will say, my goodness, they really helped me. I was without this, that. I was homeless, and, you know, and they helped me, and I was without this, and they helped me, and I didn't have a job, and they gave me a job, or I needed a promotion, they gave me a promotion, or I was this, or I was that. I needed a ride, or uh, uh, maybe you one of those persons that um, was on drugs, and there was this comp- there was this um, ministry that helped you get off drugs, but um, to nobody. Let me tell y'all what I'm talking. Me. Just one second here. I'm trying to do one little thing. He told me that uh, it was the church I was attending. This wasn't that long ago. And he said, uh, yeah, they helped me with some things. He was just sharing his, his 
you know, some things about his life, some personal things. And he said, yeah, they helped me. They helped me. He said, but uh, I don't, he says, all help ain't good help. And I said, well, what does he mean by that? And he began to break it down. This, now, again, folks, I'm talking about uh, this particular brother. That, uh, and tonight I'm going to be just so y'all know this is not the topic for tonight. I'm just happy to think about this. Uh, I always say every single show that I've been out serving the most high, hopefully you did something that would promote the kingdom. Y'all know I say that almost every show. And I'm just adding to it today. I'm just saying those of you that's working in the kingdom, those of you that's over ministries, those of you that's working in the churches, those of you that's working wherever you're working, you might just be a father helping out a son, a son helping out a daughter. Whatever you're doing to help, I'm just hoping whoever you helping will say, wow, I recommend these people because they showed me the love of Christ. That's really all I'm saying in the story. Tonight, Enlightenment on my travels in the United States. Enlightenment on my travels in the United States. That's what I want to talk about tonight. It's just that simple. That's what we want to talk about tonight. Different things met been able to experience uh, people, places, things that have really, really changed my life. Uh, I have had a big response on people. Well, how to, let me say it another way. I've had a, a, a strong response from y'all with regards to my travels. That has influenced me to produce another show. But I don't base all of just because people listening on just that. Because if I do it that, y'all, I would have done a part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on evil spirits. Because that show was my most popular show. And believe me, I have a lot to say about that show, that topic. So again, if I was just basing upon whether or not something is popular, a lot of I would have done more because they were more popular. But I try to do shows that I'm led to do. So, having said that, tonight again we are talking about enlightenment on my travels in the United States. I want to talk about people, places, and things that have been influential in um, who I am today, not that I'm some great person, but at the same time, I don't, uh, I'm not going to take a back seat to anybody else. It's just that, just that simple. I know that the most high is in my life, and I know that a lot of people I've met, he has inspired. And so I'm just giving really kind of a testimony tonight of how the Father has blessed me. And uh, I don't think it's over, by the way. I don't think I'm done with traveling. I haven't traveled in a while. I don't think I'm done. 
As a matter of fact, I believe I'm going to travel as many places in the future as I have traveled in the past. I'm not done, but I am taking a long break from it right now. Uh, last place I've been was Vancouver, uh, Seattle, Vancouver, San Francisco, all that in one trip. That's the last place I've been. But listen, folks, y'all got to bear with me. I'm trying to do several things here. Um, I've got to share with y'all some of these blessings. Tonight you're going to be very blessed, I'm telling you, because domestically, when I talk about things I've experienced in the States, some of y'all may, I think you're going to be just as blessed by them. I can't say that they're better or, you know, what, what one blessing is no better than the next one. But I have seen and experienced, met some of the most beautiful people right here in the United States. So we're going to talk about Tulsa. We're going to talk about Chicago. Talk about New York, New York, New York. We're going to talk about L.A. We're going to talk about places that's probably not that popular. Okay. We're going to talk about Cincinnati. We're going to talk about Columbus. Talk about ministries, Rod Parsley. Talk about a lot, a lot of things that I've experienced in the churches and outside the churches. Even um, when I went into the world for a season, maybe we'll get into that. Ain't going to call no names. <laughs> so tonight is going to be very exciting. I'm not just saying it to hype it up. You'll see. I mean, because there's just so much the Father has done all over the planet for me. He just... But, again, tonight we're not talking about international. This is strictly um, domestic. So I'm going to let y'all, I'm going to play one little little song here for a second just to kind of allow some other people to come, and uh, we'll be back. Um, this is a song I want to dedicate to everybody out there that's doing the right thing. It might be you. Maybe you are serving your brothers and sisters righteously and you are patient with them and you are loving with them and you are um, doing everything that you know to do to serve humanity. This song is for you, those that are in the, in the, in the harvest, working, uh, doing right by your brothers and sisters, fulfilling the scripture that says, do unto others you will have them do unto you. Uh, another scripture that says, uh, when you love your, your neighbor, when you how did it go? It says, uh, "All commandments hang on these," and it goes on to say that how you to love your neighbor. I'm a little rusty. Y'all gotta bear with me. To be very honest with you, I'm trying to uh, uh, upload this song, and I'm trying to think at the same time. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, this 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 song is for you, and then we'll be right back. done all that you could do. 
for the Lord for what seems like a lifetime. You have dreamed and you've worked towards things that you wanted to accomplish for yourself. But somehow your biggest goal always seems to be just out of your reach. But the Lord told me to tell you that he knows who you are. Yes, he's seen your work and he's also seen your tears. And he wants you to know today that you're not forgotten. Here to reward you for all your faithfulness. But he said in his word that if you would delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, not only will he give you what you need, but he promised to give you whatever you want. So don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Hang in there and prepare yourself for your blessing. It's your time now. You waited and waited 
And that's right. Everybody don't qualify for that now. And some people you think don't do, some people you think do don't. So, again, those of y'all who's working at been hard and you've been unnoticed, unpraised, that's your song. That's your promise. That's something you can claim. Everybody cannot claim the blessings spoken of in that song. So, anyway, I just wanted to just... Uh, Again, send it out to everybody um, that is fit. Again, tonight we're talking about enlightenment on my travels within the United States. And I know some of y'all can add to this, and you will probably share things people are just as excited about. I know that. And I'm glad that um, you you can do that. And I hope you do it. I hope you invite me to hear your testimony. This is not just about Seth. Lots of people, lots of people have a testimony. I'm just sharing mine tonight. It's just that simple. Not trying to gloat. I don't think I've been that many places, to be very honest with you. Not like a lot of people I know. I know people that have been to over 100 countries. I'm talking about regular everyday people, and they've had blessed experiences in those countries. They didn't just go. I told you, it's two types of travel. You can travel, but can you have the blessed experiences and meet some of the key people uh, that some people I've met I didn't tell you all about because, I mean, you don't know them, you know. Uh, remember I was traveling uh, and I met this gentleman in business class, we was talking, and he uh, was talking about how he knew Yasser Arafat. And, I mean, this guy really impressed me. And I mentioned business class because, you know, that's where a lot of so-called, uh, we all the same, for real, but, you know, these folks like to really think there's something because they're writing in, in uh, first business. But you do get to meet a lot of people. I ain't going to lie, you do get to meet a lot of very influential people when you got in business on first. And this is where I've had some of the most enlightening conversations. Remember I uh, uh, had this one conversation with the one gentleman, and I asked him if he felt like uh, we was talking about racism. And I think we was headed to, uh, again, the show tonight for those who just pop in the door is we're talking about enlightenment on my travels in the United States. We've done shows where I've talked about international. Tonight we're talking about shows in the United States. This was one of those trips, I believe, I was coming back from Atlanta because I went to Atlanta a lot there for a little bit. And that's another place i got to write this down because I don't want to get nowhere. There's so many places, folks, but... Uh, uh, I uh, was talking to this guy about racism, and I said, uh, do you believe that, uh, and this is not an enlightenment testimony here. This is actually something I shared with him on, uh, so I don't know if I should share this because we're talking, we're supposed to be talking about enlightenment, but I'll go ahead and, and just share this with you. But I was telling this gentleman, he was a businessman, you could tell he was very prosperous, and when I see people like that, uh, sometimes I say a word, 
Sometimes just sleep, go to sleep like everybody else. And so what? How you doing? Hope you enjoy the flight. You know, just like you would do. No different than what you would do. But this particular time, uh, I just, you know, was in the talk of his mode. And there he was sitting there right beside me in his, you know, nicely dressed. He was, I don't know if he was had his laptop out or not, but he was doing something. And I, he did, he, you know, I just asked him a question just to cut to the chase, y'all. Asked him this question. I said, uh, well, we, we, talking about, we started talking about racism some kind of way. I don't know how. I think he might have asked him what I did, and and, uh, and so I started sharing about how, you know, I travel uh, for pleasure and also travel sometimes in this mode to uh, research mode. Some kind of way we got on the subject of racism, y'all. And so he ended up talking about how he would like to see it eradicated, and I did too. And uh, I asked him this question. I said, would you like to see the white race live forever? And he said, yes. But he was offended at the question. It is a kind of a weird question. And again, the question was, I think we've been route to Atlanta. Do you, would you like to see the white race live forever? And he said, well, yes. But he was offended, and he said, well, wouldn't you want to see the black race live forever? And I said, well, yeah, yeah. And I said, would you like to see racism? I said, uh, I said wouldn't you like to see racism in? He says, oh, by golly, yes, yes, yes. And I said, uh, you can't have both. He said, what do you mean you can't have both? I said, you can't have both. Whatever his name was, I said, whatever his name, I always call people by their name. Let's just say his name is Mr. Matthew or Mr. Johnson. I said, Mr. Johnson, you can't have both. He said, what do you mean you can't have both? I say, because if white people and black people begins to start loving one another, as the Bible says, and treating each other based upon character, not color. There will be no white people. If we begin to just start telling the truth about who history and the beauty of the dark-skinned people or the dust-colored people or brown-skinned people, we begin to just start sharing their true history and their true accomplishments and what they're doing today and what they really are about, not what the media tried to protect, portray and their real accomplishments and who's really working hard and who really is paying the bulk of taxes and, I mean, you know, uh, who's contributing the most on a percentage. We really told the truth about who we are, told the truth about who white people are. All of their good points, all their bad. We just was just honest with each other. There would be some white people that would want to date black people. And when we when we begin to start mixing, there will not be no white people left after that, because black is the dominant gene. The only reason we're segregated is by lies, deception, and ignorance. When ignorance is replaced with truth and deception is replaced with truth and lies is replaced with truth, we will love each other and love and being colorblind would erase white 
skinned people. The way this gentleman looked at me, that was a time for enlightenment for him. But tonight we're supposed to be uh, <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about enlightenment for me. So kind of got off on that one. But that was on a trip, I believe, to Atlanta. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was Atlanta. Uh, I just want to mention some of the places we're going to talk about tonight so y'all will know what's ahead. And just real quick, uh, again, I just want to talk about some of the places I'm going to talk about so y'all will know what's ahead. I want to talk about tonight Atlanta. I want to talk about tonight, again, New York. Lots of lots of experiences in New York. I can spend New York for a whole show on New York because that's where a lot of, for some reason, a lot of brothers and sisters up in the D.C., Washington, uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia area, I really think they are the smartest, uh, more uh, forward-thinking black people on the planet. I think they're way ahead of the West Coast. Nothing on the West Coast of that sort. The South may give them a little competition, but there's too much Uncle Tommy in the South. Uh, Midwest could give them a run for their money, but there's nothing quite like the New York, uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia area. This is where a lot of brothers and sisters, even even listening to this show, I get more listeners from that area than anywhere. There are more of my friends that are aware of the whole Hebrew-Israelite revelation than anybody. So my hat goes off to the East Coast, New Jersey, Philadelphia, and the surrounding area, that metro area, the metro area surrounding these cities, Philadelphia for sure. Um, wow. I don't know what they got, what it is. Uh, maybe one day I'll figure it out, but right now as we speak, they are tops, especially New York, of course, because they got, what, 7 million people, something like that. So, and to be more specifically, the Harlem area. I've been to Harlem several times. Every time I go there, I get my mind blown. I go there for the history, but I also go there just to listen to what the brothers and sisters are saying out there on the streets. And uh, while I vehemently despise and hate uh, what they do, I just saw a video just the other day of a, a white young man crying. I mean, broke out crying. Um, I should play the clip for y'all. I mean, he was boohoo crying because these Israelite brothers and sisters was coming at him, telling him the Holocaust was a joke. And it's because they were saying that the black Holocaust, you know, the Middle Passage, all of the millions of souls that perished during the Middle Passage, those ships back and forth uh, to Africa, bringing slaves over. There was far more, more people than the Holocaust. And I agree 100% that there were, were far more people, but I vehemently, distance, I vehemently disagree and distance myself from anybody that is going to do what those devils did to their young boy. I mean, I don't care, even though he was a white young man, uh, a, a, a Jewish, a so-called Jewish uh, young man, I say Jew by religion, uh, because they do practice what they think to be Juda- Judaism. You have to respect that. That's why I say Jew by religion, but not by bloodline. But I, I fell for that young boy, and if I was there, I would have let them Israelites have it. I would have let them have it, because that was wrong, wrong, wrong. 
wrong what they did to their brother. But that's what happens when you don't have no spirit and you just go out there with the letter. All they could think of was our pain, our pain, our pain. But just because we as a people have been through pain, the Most High never gave us the authority to to just go in and, and just blast other nations like that. All I want, just think about it now, it gets me upset. I mean, I was looking at that, and I want to clamp, climb through my computer screen to get to those people. I mean, I, I was so hurt, so hurt. So please, if you listen to my show tonight and you have seen these, or maybe you've been a part of these fools. Maybe you go to a, a synagogue or a church similar where they, they teach the same. It's just, I don't know what these say. I really don't want to spend too much time on that. It's just that the people in that, uh, y'all know I'm talking about across 100, up there past 110th Street, uh, 100th Street, and that Harlem area. You know, Harlem is upper uh, upper numbers, and they're always out there on the streets, and they're always preaching. And they have the Torah or the Bible or the copy of the Torah or the copy of the Bible. And they always have somebody reading it. And when they're reading it, they're shouting real loud. I despise their action. It is so wrong. And I'm going to tell you something else. It pushes people away from listening to you. Ain't nobody going to hear nothing you got to say when you're doing that. You catch more be with honey. It ain't just a proverb. That is a very true statement. It's enough pain to hear that they are not the true Jews after believing they are Israel uh, Jews all their life. It's enough pain for their young brother to walk up and see people dressed like those brothers was dressed and saying they was Israel. They were the true Israelites. And the brothers had a whole lot of scriptures. So they was right as far as saying who Israel was and, and how these people from Europe became Jews. That was all acted very profoundly done. But to make that brother cry like that and tell him the Holocaust, the Holocaust was nothing, was plain old, just insensitivity. Now I know sometimes when you're upset, I know when you're upset, you know you want to say things to people and you want to let them know your pain, but that wasn't the time. I don't know if it's ever time to, to say the things they said. So anyway, New York, New York, Go. I went there many times, countless times, and uh, every time I go there, it don't matter if you're in Harlem, it don't matter if you're in uh, Manhattan, it don't matter if you're in the Bronx, uh, uh, it don't matter if you're in Brooklyn. I go, you know, out of all the places, Brooklyn is probably one of the places I go. I, I went the, the fewest times for some reason. Just didn't have a lot of business in Brooklyn. I always uh, uh, lean towards Manhattan uh, up in the Harlem area, mainly uh, New Jersey, to be honest, and a lot of time in New Jersey. So the brothers and sisters up there are very enlightened. I'm telling you, uh, if anything happened, uh, I would say that's where all of the teaching comes from. I, I, you know how they say dancing and the moves and the, all the soul and the rhythm come from L.A.? Well, like they say, L.A. is the capital of the music industry. I'd say New York and New Jersey and Philadelphia is the, cap- is the capital of the Hebrew Israelite movement. They're strong. They know their stuff. And uh, it's biblical-based. And some of you probably say, well, if they're that knowledgeable, how come they don't know how to talk to people? First of all, those few little guys out there on the street does not in any way hold a candle to the thousands of Israelites in that area that's mature, have churches, been around for 
they ain't just been around no 20, 30 years. These people have been around since uh, Bishop, uh, I can't think of his name right now. He came in the 1800s talking about we're Israel. So it, back then, uh, New York had, they, uh, I can't think of this one area. I know it was in Harlem where a lot of these Israelites been teaching this forever. Folks, this is old as I don't know what. So if you don't know, I'm sorry you didn't know it, but this is old. Been around a very, very long time. So, again, tonight, if you just joined the show, this is Five from the Stones. This is Brother Seth talking about, again, enlightenment on my travels in the United States of America. Okay, and we just talked about the New York area. I can't, I'll probably think of it. I'll probably keep going back to it. I probably should just leave it to last because I'll be thinking of stuff I forgot in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. I mean, uh, not Philadelphia. I've never been to Philadelphia. New Jersey, New York area and the D.C. area. I know D.C. is a little further away, but a uh, lot's going on uh, in that area. While I'm in that uh, on the East Coast, let me just go ahead and just hit uh, D.C. Uh, enlightenment on my travels. Now, this show tonight is not so much related to Five Smooth Stones. Uh, most of the time it's going to be, but some things I'll say, I'll just simply have fun. I'm going to throw that in. Uh, um, because I'm just talking about travels, and I won't, everything I say won't be ministry-related or Five Smooth Stone-related. Again, Five Smooth Stone is the five topics I talk about, preach about all the time. They are, one more time, for those of y'all who don't know, um, the revelation of who the true Israelites or who the true Jews are. Um, when I say enlightenment information, I've gotten on my travels as far as uh, bringing clarity to that revelation. Uh, bringing uh, any confirmations I've gotten from people about that. I mean, strong confirmation, not just somebody saying, oh, I agree. But, I mean, people that was able to add to it, you know, confirmations that Brother Yeoman like track, this is true, you know. Um, so, anyway, one of the five topics of the five stones, of the five smooth stones, is, again, the revelation of the Israelites, who the true, true Israelites are and how they have been dispersed throughout the four corners of the earth and how that the Most High ran his people out of Israel some time back, and that uh, he was upset with them because they didn't keep his law. They didn't keep his precepts and statutes. So he said, because the land was never allowed to rest, because you didn't keep the Shabbat on my Sabbath, or or you didn't keep the Sabbath, he would run you out of the land and disperse you to the four corners, not just because they didn't keep the Shabbat, but a multitude of sins, okay? And he scattered them throughout the four corners of the earth into every nation, the Bible says. And at that time, there was only 70 nations. So we have to say, according to the scriptures, according to Genesis 10, that there's still only 70 nations, not 200 or some odd nations, but 70 nations in Israelites, the true Israelites, the real Israelites, the real Jews, were then scattered to those 70 regions of the world. Okay, so again, the five smooth stones is the revelation of the Israelites, who they who they are, where they are. Also, we talk about what uh, the whole concept of racism, white supremacy, the fallacy, the doctrine, the ideology of white supremacy. We talk about it not from a blaming the white man standpoint, but from Presenting it as though it is an ideology, it's a it's a it's a philosophy, it's a doctrine, 
And anybody can believe the doctrine. Anybody. Anybody can teach the doctrine. Okay, white people, so-called white people, because there's no such thing as a white person or a black person. There is just mankind with different degrees of melanin. There is no such thing as a race based upon color. There is just uh, people, and the only uh, difference uh, with regards to uh, who these people are that the Most High have made is he called them nations. There's nationalities, nationalities, nationalities. So that's based upon region, but nowhere in the scripture does it dissect or, or um, it's the word I'm looking for, does it separate people based upon skin color. It is weak as water. No such thing as a white person. No such thing as a black person. But there is such thing as people based upon different nations. So, most High scattered his people throughout all of these different nations, 70 to be exact. Uh, now, the Amalekites are no more. Supposedly, Israel should have destroyed them, and they don't exist no more. So we more, more, more technically should say 69 nations. Again, just because you take up armors, tanks, soldiers, and you go conquer land, that don't mean that the Most High is going to add your nation in the Bible. It started out 70 nations. All this fighting and war and then creates another hundred and some odd nations and that's over two hundred the most I don't acknowledge that. Y'all know that. There's seventy nations minus one, sixty nine. Okay, so tonight again we're talking about enlightenment on my travels in the United States. Last two shows we talked about international uh travel. Tonight we're talking about domestic travel. And I just talked about a little bit New York. Probably we'll talk about it more. And we talked about uh, we talked about different things that have happened that uh, that have enlightened me to preach, advocate uh, the five smooth stones. And again, the five smooth stones are just name one of them: the revelation, the belief that certain people. Uh, that live out Deuteronomy 28, those prophecies that Moses said Israel would live out in verse 46, those prophecies are the true Israelites. So that's one of the topics I talk about. The other one is the philosophy, the ideology, the foolishness, the concept of white supremacy, white superiority. Talk about that. Then we talk about what white skin is, how we as a human family, because we are one family. There is no white man, black man. We are one. If I don't get nothing else out, please know that I believe with all my heart we are one. We can never be better than the other one. But how did some of us become white? How did some of us become uh, at a point where we have lost the pigmentation, the brown earth that the Most High said he made his man out of, of the dust of the earth. Some of y'all might say, how do you know that that dust out there, that brown dust is how the same color he started with man? It's very easy. The Bible says that the Most High said to Moses, dust thou art. Well, we can see that. We can see when he said that how Adam looked when he says, Doth thou art. But then he says something else. 
and dust shall you return. Dust thou art, you are dust, and you're going to return to the dirt. Well, we can see that. We can see what happened to mankind when they returned back to the dirt. We cannot see Adam when he said, Thus thou art. We, that was the first man. We wasn't there. But we for sure can see what happened when he says, You're going to return. We can dig up people 100, 200 years later and see what happened to their bodies. All bodies begin to get this brown color. Everybody turned back to this brown dust, brown dirt. So this is why we, one of the reasons out of a thousand, and I do mean probably a thousand reasons, we believe that the first Israelites were people of dark skin. So what happened? How did they lose their pigmentation or their earth? Did you know that the same properties in the earth and dirt is in melanin? Did you know that? What happened to mankind? Why did mankind lose his pigmentation? Well, it's addressed in the Bible. This is called leprosy, a type of leprosy, a type there's of, of leprosy. is losing pigmentation. Uh, you can lose it slowly, like Leviticus 13 and 13 talks about, or you can lose it very fast and be born. Not lose it fast, but be born white. Or be born, in other words, a albino. So this white skin, the albinoism that albinos have, and the white skin from vitiligo, is the same white skin that our brothers and sisters have that we see every day. We just don't call them albino. And they mix so much with people, melanated people, till they they've gotten a darker hue. Okay, so they're not white white, and their hair is no longer blonde. I mean, a blonde a white, a gray, because of melanated people mixing with melanin, their hair has gotten more pigmentation or darker, the skin darker, and so we don't recognize that we see a people that is just more melanated. And I say we all are blonde hair and blue eyes, but we have melanin on top of that, which gives us dark skin darker eyes. The more melanated we are, the darker we become. Think of it like it's a sliding scale. And the more you push the lever to the left, you lose all pigmentation in your skin and your eyes and your hair and even bone density. And the more you push the lever to the right, the more melanin kicks in, the darker you get, the darker the skin get, the darker the eyes get dark of the hair get at some point you're going to wind up with black hair black eyes black skin now very few people on this planet have black eyes but there are people that do well, I believe that was the origin because all colors is inside of black every color on the spectrum can be taken from black so we talk about that in detail I've talked about it over and over again under the con um uh, talk about leprosy over and over again. Again, it's a type of Bible leprosy, not modern-day leprosy. Not that stuff y'all see with people's fingers falling on, lost in blood and puzzling. The leprosy of the Bible has nothing to do with that, and I can prove it. That is the third subject we talk about. Then we talk about something called the one-world government. 
This is a false kingdom that's trying to duplicate the kingdom of the Most High. Why am I going through this? This is what I'm just going to be talking about, uh, that I've run into people or places of things that have influenced these teachings, helped these teachings to come to fruition. Different people, places, and things that I've met in the United States have helped these topics one way or another, and I'm going to try to explain that here in a second as I go through the different cities. But right now, here are the five new stones. So far, we've covered the revelation of the true Israelites is one of the topics. So far, we've covered white supremacy, the philosophy of white supremacy, the ideology of white supremacy, the lie of white supremacy. Some people can even say the foolishness of white supremacy, but it's a powerful lie. It has most of the world in its clutches, deceived, oppressing people. You can take white people completely out of the mix, and the philosophy of white supremacy would be there, and black people will start harming each other like the Hutus and the Tutsis, although France did have a strong hand in that, and so did the United States. But for sure, France did arming one side. We found out later, like, again, we're talking about Rwanda. But anyway, you don't have to have white people around, really, to have white supremacy. You know, uh, I went to schools where uh, constantly lighter-skinned people was making fun of dark-skinned people. We didn't even have whites at our school other than the teachers. So anyway, we talk about that. Uh, 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 one world government is what I was trying to bring up. We also talk about the one world government, the false kingdom, trying to duplicate the kingdom of the Most High. We talk about this. We talk about what they're doing. We talk about all the plots of the one world government. I mean, we talk about everything that the one world government is trying to even halfway kind of think they want to do. I mean, we talk about the. Uh, uh, and also that's called the one world government. Some people know about the one world government or the new world order. All this is the same people. We talk about things like the Bilderberg Group. We talk about uh, fractional lending system, how the banks uh, don't have the money that they actually lend out. We talk about uh, the think tanks, the international think tanks all around the world. There's these think tanks where people uh, come together and they brainstorm how to control people, how to exploit people, also how to help in some ways. There's a lot of good think tanks, but most of these think tanks is nothing more than imperialist, uh, the brain of imperialism for the U.S. It's just uh, people that's helping us to exploit other countries. But we talked about things uh, like 911 being orchestrated by our own government. We talked about the IMF. We talked about Illuminati, talk about uh, military. Uh, there's the military, and there's another military. There's a government, there's a Congress, and there's a, a shady Congress, there's a dark Congress, or, or there's some, I should say it a different way. There is the Congress we know about, and then there are these powerful people that undermine the con- Congress that has these covert operations. We talk about that like there is no tomorrow. We talk about... Uh, uh, the, the Federal Reserve print up all this money, causing all type of inflation, and 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 and, and the inflation is definitely uh, intentional thing. It ain't like y'all think it is. We talk about globalism, uh, what it mean, and talk about how the United States 
and, and other powerful countries, few, few, very few powerful countries control 40% of the world's resources. We're talking about the European Union. I mean, powerful people, small, you know, no more than about 10 or 13 countries, but they control 40% of the world's wealth. Again, there's over 200 nations now. So the one world government, who are they, what their agenda is, and where are they at in Scripture? What does the one world government have to do with the kingdom of the Most High and his Christ that is to come and establish a kingdom on this earth? Well, they are a phony kingdom. They are a phony kingdom. They are a real live kingdom. If you don't think the New World Order is real, I don't know what to tell you. It's strong. Um, JFK spoke about it. That could be why he was killed. I don't know. But it's even on uh, the Internet, uh, his sermon, his speech, where JFK was talking about this, 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 this shadow, this, this, this very group of powerful people. Bill Clinton said something about it, and the next day, in the New York Times, he put an uh, apology. But Bill Clinton made the comment that there is a group of people that is so powerful, so so powerful that one should not speak about them above a whisper. And the next day, he was apologizing for his comment. These are some very powerful people we call the New World Order. Anyway, we talk about that. And as I've traveled in the United States, I have had the opportunity to meet people that have contributed to that subject and all these other five subjects we call the five new stones, okay? Last but not least, the fifth topic I talk about is the kingdom of the most high that is coming to this earth to rule and reign. I know some of y'all think this is spooky. You don't believe in it. sound too pie in the skyish, but this earth is going to go a major change. We may not see it. Maybe our kids won't see it, but this earth, as we know it, is going to change. All you got to do is look around. Look how fast technology is going. You think all this Internet, learning everything within a second, you think it's taking, it's, all this is taking us somewhere, and it's taking us some very, somewhere very fast. There is a very real system being set up. It started out in the hearts of man through the most high, ruling in our hearts. But as mankind uh, submit to the most high, that means the most high owns whatever it is they own. I mean, if I say, I'm submitted to the Most High and everything I got is his. I'm going to do what I feel like he wants. I'm going to follow his word, his Bible. I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. I'm going to do what I feel the Spirit is saying to the word. Eventually, we're all going to be on the same page. And our assets, some of us got a lot more than others, all these assets fall under something we call the kingdom. In other words, if I said I'm going to simply serve my brothers and sisters, that means nobody around me is going to need transportation. I'm going to because my transportation is going to be their transportation. My food is going to be their food. You know, I'm going to share this community type of lifestyle. There will be no lack. There will be no hunger. There will be no pain because this kingdom is coming. Some of y'all understand what I'm saying, and others probably think I'm just out there. You know, but that only means that you haven't been studying. There are a lot of people that are set up uh, fake democracy and all these lies that we've uh, been telling the people. America been putting out there. They're, they're, they're on to us, so to speak. They're on to what America is doing. They're on to 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 uh, to to a lot of this uh, fake uh, help that the United States is offering to countries when they're trying to exploit them. 
and uh, they're setting up their they're submitting to to the Most High. They're submitting their turning their a lot of governments. And just, let me just just back up for a second, because some of y'all I can feel I can just feel this in the spirit that some of y'all thinking I'm flipping. Let me show you what I'm talking about. On a very real in your face, you're gonna face this tomorrow. You face it every day. Approach. Notice how the business world was about uh, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Remember how it was all about money, 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 money. Now all of a sudden, you walk into a store, people greet you, hello, hi. And they, and they, then some people are even trained to go further, engage the customers, talk, find out things about them personally, remember their name, remember their name, use their name. Now you can't walk into a business that's not trying to use your name, be friendly with you, and show you what? The love of Christ. That's what they're really trying to do without saying it. They're trying to get you, and, and it does feel better when you go in businesses and they use your name and they and they learn some things about you and they engage in a little conversation before you buy the merchandise. This is kingdom principles. Well, just multiply that times, I don't know, a lot. That is what is about to happen. It's gonna it's gonna roll over to other areas and more areas and more companies and next thing you know you're gonna look up and the kingdom of the most high is gonna be on this earth except this time you'll see this Christ. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. I don't think it's gonna be like a lot of us think. A lot of us been taught Christ is gonna come, rule a thousand years, said gonna be bound. A lot of that stuff we don't understand. But I'm telling you, it's coming. Some kind of way, maybe a lot like we think, but it is coming. Surely things are going to change. So this is the things that I talk about all, have talked about all over the world. But tonight I'm not talking about all over the world. Tonight I'm talking about all over the United States. These are the things I've been talking about all over the country. So tonight I want to try to just hit and miss uh, different places. I was talking about D.C., D.C., I remember seeing uh, uh, the love that I longed to see in this country for a very long time uh, when Obama was sworn in at his inauguration. I wasn't going to go because it was very, very cold, if you all remember. But I was so glad that I was able to uh, go to D.C. and and uh, come up out of that train, and just like I did the Million Man's March, the same feeling. I still think the Million Man March was the most uh, the most inspiring event I ever been to in my life. Um, well, as a matter of fact, let me talk about that first because I can't afford to forget that the Million Man March was nothing probably will ever in a black man's life touch the black man as much as the Million Man March. I was even told not to go to it. I was told it was of the devil, Muslim, heading it, Farrakhan. And if Farrakhan ain't got enough sense to give his life to the Lord, what makes you think, Seth, you should go to that convention? This is what I was told. You should not go. Don't be caught dead there. He's a Muslim. He's a Muslim. He's a Muslim. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. That's all I was told over and over and over. But I began to look at the people that were saying it, and I've learned sometimes you got to think for yourself because there's a lot of scary people, especially in Christianity. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of people with a whole lot of fears and, 
and they don't want to learn nothing new. And uh, they think that America has a America is the only interpretation of everything, when in fact America is just a fleeing thought. Its concept and its philosophies and its teachings and its religion is just one guess, one thought compared to the world philosophies and religions and how they look at God and the earth and people. And America is not all there is. And this is one of the reasons why I prayed in 1988 for the Most High to help me see the world. I did not want to be just a person trying to understand this world, and I still hadn't seen the world. I mean, I've seen a lot of the world. I can say I've been around the world, but uh, I have so much more to see. Y'all just don't know. Uh, I'm just... Anyway, so tonight, uh, again, we're talking about traveling in the United States. So D.C., was major. The Million Man March, uh, what I felt, and I know different people have had different experiences, but I'm just going to tell you real briefly, uh, it's a, it was a long episode, it was a long ordeal, long honor. The experience was was just amazing. Nothing can touch the power of the Million Man March. Um, to see all those black brothers on a Monday because they had said, you know, we was tired of people saying that black men don't care about their family, black men don't care about this, black men don't care about that. So Louis Farrakhan took it upon himself to call this million man march. He deliberately put it on a Monday, a hardest day for anybody to come out. And uh, there was not a million people there. There was probably not two million people there. And there may have been three million people there. But there was for sure over a million men there. It was far bigger than uh, Barack Obama's inauguration, uh, President Barack Obama, I should say. I mean, it was far bigger. And uh, they made the mistake and took pictures of it. And they forget, forget, we have, uh, they said it was under a million. They, but they forgot that we uh, have people that can count, too, uh, mass crowds. And uh, they took a picture in time, and uh, I'm sure they meant it to go one way, but it ended up proving that there was far more than a million people. But more important than that was the love there. Everybody had to stand. You couldn't sit down. So this kind of forced you to get into the message. And, um, I mean, I saw looks on some brothers. I don't think I've ever seen the intensity the seriousness, the uh, attentiveness, I don't even know how to explain this, the look on those brothers' faces. They was here basically with one voice, one mind, one spirit, shouting, although their mouth was completely closed. It's almost like they were shouting to the world, hell yeah, we care about our family. Hell yeah, we care about our nation. What's wrong with you? Hell yeah, we care about our churches. I mean, I just felt that so strong. I don't normally use hell nothing, but 
that's what I felt them saying. That's the spirit. The spirit was like we are here to show the world and our families we care. Any black man that did not have his behind in D.C. on that date, all I can say is wish Farrakhan to have another one, and maybe you can go to that one. But that right there, nothing can touch that. I've been in services where everybody was almost laid out in spirit. I have been in services where they gave money away. I have been in services where I've heard some of the greatest voices, concerts. I have been in some of the greatest concerts. I've seen the Barclays, Parliament, uh, whoever you want to say can sing. I've seen them. I've seen the gospel, gospel great. I ain't seen nothing, nothing to date like the Million Man March. Wasn't no singing hardly. Wasn't no entertainment. Wasn't nobody shaking their butt. Just a bunch of brothers standing around for about five hours listening to the different speakers address the needs of our people, uh, of what the country respected out of us, wanted out of us, demanded out of us, and what we demand out of each other. Most touching part to me is at the very end when Farrakhan asked all of the brothers to start hugging each other and, and, you know, let them know that, you know, to me, to me, that, and everybody I've ever talked to that went to the convention said that was the most powerful time. Because at that point, it didn't matter if you owned a business or not. It didn't matter if you was a celebrity or not. It didn't matter where you lived, if you even lived anywhere, if you even had a home. It didn't matter if you flew in, walked around the corner, bust in. It didn't matter if you was good looking or not. It didn't matter if you was young or old. It was a lot of black men just showing each other love. And I'm glad there was no white people there. I'm glad there was no sisters there. Because sometimes we were the ones in the spotlight that they said, you can't do it. Later on, there was a group that tried to duplicate the Million Man March called the Promise Keepers. And I like the Promise Keepers. I think I believe in a whole lot of things they talk about. But the Promise Keepers met on the weekend, number one, whereas the Million Man March was on a Monday. Promise Keepers was on the weekend where everybody can get off and go. And then the Promise Keepers was with all colors. So if they even got the numbers Farrakhan got, which I doubt, that would have been something. But to have over a million, some people say up to two and a half, black men, on a Monday, I personally lost my job behind the Million Man's March. I don't know who else, who else have did. I'm sure a lot of them brothers came back and, and their employer didn't appreciate the idea of them taking off on that day. They didn't know it was going to be that big. But their job wasn't nothing to me anyway. But I remember jumping, getting off that plane and they handed me a boarding pass. Instead of the boarding pass having my name on it, this guy said, I want to do something special. The boarding pass had Million Man March. I think I still have that somewhere. So, again, D.C. On the, on the map. Never will forget that. And then the inauguration. Saw so much love from, from white people that day. I never seen nothing like that. Uh, that, as far as whites and blacks together, that would probably be one of the top points again, but in another way. I've never seen blacks and whites more loving than that in my life. Again, uh, almost a million for there. Some of you said that was over. I don't know. But it, I know according to the pictures, all you got to do is compare the pictures you can read. I'm sure you all can read. 
probably better than I can. And you can see, look at Farrakhan pictures and look at um, uh, um, Barack, uh, President Barack Obama's pictures and tell me which one do you think where most people was at. Preferably try to look and not look at the pictures of who's standing in the pulpit. Because, I mean, who's try to just look at the crowd and not the front part. Anyway, moving right along, there's lots of experiences. I'm spent way too much time on that. So I already 12, 12, I'm going to one. I haven't talked about about three places. I got a lot of going, Donna. Um, there were some things I missed on the international travel. I guess you're just going to miss some stuff. It's all there is to it. But I did miss some, some events. You can't tell it all. If I think of it, I, if I, think of it I will. I uh, want to talk about uh, my trip to Atlanta. Uh, of course, I've talked about how I met C.T. Vivian, how the Most High orchestrated that. I mean, he sure did. He sure did. But I've talked about this meeting before, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I'm basically I met C.T. Vivian on an airplane. I said, look at that guy that was on Oprah's show, and he came and sat down right behind me. I knew that was the Most High, so I didn't feel no problem with turning around and talking to him. And we talk all the way. And C.T. Vivian don't talk low. He talks like he, you know, he's out of the park or something. So everybody on the plane could hear what he was saying. And, I mean, we was talking about white supremacy, and I told him that I, how the Most High showed me that I was a white supremacist. Now, he was blown away by this. Now, it enlightened me, though, when I began to see how he responded to my definition of white supremacy. You know, the 60s and the civil rights leaders, like C.T. Vivian, he was a major civil rights leader, just like King was. Abernathy, uh, Shuttlesworth, C.T. Vivian, these guys didn't get the kind of, uh, and Jesse, well, Jesse did. But the other guys didn't get the, res- the respect that, that King and Jesse got, Jesse Jackson got, Reverend Jesse Jackson, I guess I should say. But anyway, talking to this man, I began to show him how the Most High revealed to me that I was a white supremacist, which meant I was a person that believed in the philosophy and was practicing the philosophy of white supremacy. This means my behaviors uh, show that I valued certain things that uh, white people did as the standard. In other words, if you ask me what was a good education, I will quote the white institutions. When knowledge don't care, knowledge will jump in your head wherever it is. If you ask me what was a good church, what was a good ministries, what was good neighborhoods, you know, a neighborhood is as good as the people are. It's not a certain color, but I did believe that white neighborhoods had it better than black neighborhoods. And, and white interpretations of this and white interpretations of that, and if I was dying, which doctor would I want? Being honest, which one do you want? I was practicing the philosophy of white supremacy. And I'll tell him, Dr. Vivian, that it's a philosophy anybody can practice. And he was really impressed by that because he always was taught that, you know, it's basically the white male or the white female and this doctrine that they were superior. And I was saying, no, it's not true. I didn't tell him no. I just let him know what I got. I was saying, no, I was a white supremacist because I practiced that belief system. So I remember he gave me his business card. He turned over and gave me his house uh, house phone number. He says, I'm giving you, he said, most people, I give them just my business card, but I'm giving you my house phone number. 
And uh, I ended up turning that card over to a friend of mine in Atlanta and having him run with it because I felt like we had a message from the Most High, and I wanted him to stay in touch with CTV. I didn't want to stay in touch with him. I had other things I was trying to do. Honest, I had other things I was trying to do, and I did not want to stay in touch with this man. And I didn't want to run in from him and nothing like that. I just felt like, okay, you in the city with him, meet with him, and let him know what we're talking about, share what we've learned, because it wasn't just me learning about these five smooth stones. I got it, but I began to start sharing with people, and then they began to start passing along as well. So I've been all around the world sharing, not all over the world, folks. I just, y'all know what I, I missed. I clarified that earlier, but the places I've been, the few places I've been, I've shared with people about these five topics. So later on, uh, after the plane landed, I ran into Dr. Vivian again out of the clear blue. It wasn't even a good two hours later. I ran into this man, and this time he didn't see me. I saw him driving into his garage. And I know that sounds so crazy. I know y'all probably halfway don't believe me, but it, it happened. And I told him about it because the car drove right in front of us. He didn't see me, but I saw him and drove right in front of us, and then he took out his uh, remote and mashed his garage door open. What's the chance of you seeing somebody in the city two hours as big as Atlanta and seeing them as they pull into their garage? It's crazy. But that is not the end of it. I goes on to the Mall of the King uh, burial site where they have a little, uh, his, uh, his, the Mall of the King Center. And, uh, you know, there's a bookstore there, and... Uh, that was an experience all by itself, a very enlightening experience, but not as enlightening as what's about to happen. But I walked into the center, and uh, I'm, I just told everybody about Dr. Vivian, how I felt like there was God that I saw him going to his garage, but I don't know what I was supposed to do about that. And we walked in, and Dr. C.T. Vivian was preaching on the, on the little TV there. And I say, what is the chance? of you walking into the Dr. Martin Luther King Memorial Museum and seeing, or hearing rather, another person. We didn't walk into the C.T. Vivian Museum. We walked into the Dr. Martin Luther King Memorial Center. I think that's the name of it. And here was C.T. Vivian on. And the people that was with me, I said, y'all know that guy we just saw that I told y'all I saw on the plane? Who we just happened to see him at his house out of the clear blue? That's him on the screen. And everybody looked at me like I was from Mars. And they, they was already freaked out that we found this man driving up in his, in his uh, uh, garage who I just was on the plane with. And we said goodbye to each other. He gave me his business card. And the very... <laughs> The very, remember we said, I'm going to give you my phone, my home phone number. We happened to see him driving up in his house, and then later we walk into the King Memorial Center, and there he is on TV. Now, after he went off, it was just a little short little clip of him at the, uh, on, at the King's Memorial uh, uh, on this little display of this TV. Now, watch this. After he went off and didn't come back home, it was all about Martin Luther King Jr. It's just this one little Bleep of Dr. C.T. Vivian, and we walked in on that man preaching. Now, if you tell me all three of those things that happened, me seeing him on the plane, and giving, I mean, that that was 
that was God, for real. That was the most high. That was something, and I just wasn't listening enough to the spirit to figure out what it was. But that is just another thing weird that happened in Atlanta. If I think long enough, there was a lot of encounters in Atlanta. Uh, by the way, speaking of Atlanta, Brother Cash, David Cash is a good friend of mine, and uh, he was one of the persons that heard me uh, first lay out this whole leprosy teaching at the uh, at what they call ASAC. I don't think ASAC is still around. It might be in a Columbus, but uh, Columbus, Ohio, he heard me talk about this whole revelation of uh, white skin and, and the origin of white skin and how it all started with uh, uh, how white skin is a type of leprosy, not what all leprosy is, but it's a type of leprosy according to Leviticus 13 and 13 and 14, again, chapter 13, verse 13 and 14, as well as Second Kings 5. Second Kings 5 talking about someone that was smitten, uh, cursed to be white and his descendants forever. That's not me talking. That's the Bible. You go figure it out if you don't like what I'm saying. But it it is in the book. Again, Second Kings 5, last verse, to be specific. Look it up. Okay. Uh, again, someone smitten with white skin. Why did the Most High do that? Why did the Prophet do that back in the day? I don't know. All I know is it happened. So we take that and we preach that, and uh, that's just it. That's that. And so back in biblical times, white skin was looked upon as a curse. Now, again, as I talk about these travels, these are, you know, we talked about the last two. Uh, sessions uh, on enlightenment on my travels uh, around the world. Uh, we talked about international travels, last two shows. This show tonight is focusing on just the United States. I want to jump up to Tulsa if I think of some in Atlanta or I think of some in New York, I think of some in New Jersey, I think of some in Philadelphia, I think of some in D.C. I'll mention it. Uh, I'm going to try to switch. I can't think of nothing else in Atlanta uh, I just know I went to the underground. I did, we did all the whole Atlanta thing, CNN. But uh, I, let me just show this about Atlanta. I did, did, I did notice something. Uh, uh, T.D. Jakes tried to challenge uh, Farrakhan. This is something very interesting. The Million Man March, on the day of the Million Man March, Jakes called his own march. Jakes called, it was like a counter march. And he called everybody that would come to Atlanta as a counter march against the Million Man March. And Jake's got 20, I think 2,000 black men to show up. And I flew to Atlanta because I wanted to be a part of the counter march. I really wanted to go to the Million Man March uh, uh, at first, and then they talked me out of it. And then I went, after I went to the Atlanta march, I decided to last with the airport. I'm going to D.C., and I just hopped on a plane and went to D.C., but I went to the Atlanta march. Y'all got to hear this. Again, if you're on the phone lines, you have a question or comment, press 1. If you're in the chat room, y'all know what to do. I'm not really monitoring the chat room like I should. I probably should be. Probably everybody got making comments. Let's see here. But, uh, again, uh, um, I went to the Atlanta march in, in support of uh, Jake's because, again, Farrakhan wasn't saved. He wasn't a believer, supposedly. And, and I've been told, if Farrakhan ain't got enough sense to give his heart to the Most High, why are you there as a, as a Christian or a believer following this man? You know, you're, you're a fool, Seth. You know, you should be doing this. 
I went I went through it, so I said, okay, I gave into it and said, y'all are right. So I went to Atlanta, but when I came from Atlanta, luck, not luckily, but I'm sure it was the most high in his own infinite wisdom, had Farrakhan the planets march uh, at a certain time. In other words, they wasn't at the same time. Jake's march in enough time for you to fly to see Farrakhan. I was like, great. I was at the airport and CNN did a um, CNN did a uh, an update on the march and I saw all those people and I said, I said to myself I'm not about to let history bypass me, so I went and asked what is the fastest time I can get. She said where's the plane going and I, and I mean I ran and uh, I made that plane and I told them let them know y'all I'm at the march. They was like I was, you know they was just tripping on me because I was following this Muslim supposedly. But I'm telling you, anybody that missed the Million Man March, hmm, there is nothing. I don't been. I told you, I don't been to services. I don't been to concerts. I don't been to the Super Bowl even. I don't been to all kind of stuff. I ain't never ever seen them. nothing. Nothing even close. If you say, hey, what would you give up? Would you give up seeing Michael Jackson? Uh, uh, would you give up going to the Super Bowl with Michael Jackson perform? Even though I, I, I really did miss it, but I, I went into the last part of it. If you say, would you give up that, or would you give up seeing the Clark sisters, or would you give up seeing the Barcades, would you give up seeing Parliament, would you give up seeing, because you know there's some good concerts back in the day, would you give up seeing, I would not give up any two or three of those shows to see, to miss out on that. That was crazy. I mean, just the black men there and the intensity in their eyes, and they're so focused and so serious about this one thing, just letting America know, like I said earlier, that hell, yeah, we care about our families. Hell, yeah, we care about our children. Hell, yeah, we care about our wives. Are you kidding me? There was a look. Thugs was there. Non-thugs was there, religious folks was there, celebrities was there, ugly people was there, nice little people was there, tall people was there, skinny people was there, old people was there, young people was there, all kind of black men, atheists was there, Christians was there, all types of Muslims was there. And I remember this rumbling after they got tired of all these other speakers, non-Muslims and Muslims alike had had enough, and they began to start chanting, America. Farrakhan, and it was just embarrassing to be at that mic if you weren't Farrakhan. So all of a sudden, here come this Negro. I shouldn't say Negro, but here come this man on these stairs with like 15 bodyguards. That was the most beautiful thing I've probably ever seen. They say Garvey used to come in strolls like that, but I've never seen Garvey. But I saw this man come off, come down on Capitol Hill off them stairs, uh, that backside, that was beautiful. And, 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 and Farrakhan jogged. It was like he didn't walk. He actually kind of ran to the to the podium. They kind of like had this light jog. It was beautiful. That is the one day, if you was a Muslim, you should be proud. And I'm not a Muslim. And it moved me to be any close to being a Muslim. But I have to say, that, my friend, <laughs> That was a class act by the one and only Minister Louis Farrakhan. I will give Farrakhan this, this credit. There's nobody that know that nobody articulates the pain of our people more than this man. I don't agree with everything he say. I don't. I don't. I don't. No, I don't. But I must say, he pulled off something. I don't even think it was him. 
I think the most high needed to speak through to America through these so-called black men and let them know what y'all calling us, what y'all accuse us of, you are terribly wrong. You have no idea who we are. That's what I got from the Million Man March. That's what we went to tell the nation. You know, not us. No, we care about our family. Oh, no, you won't. That's the way we were. And, I mean, it was a look. And when that man said at the very end, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but when he said at the end of that march, go and grab a, a brother, one of your brothers, and let him know how much you appreciate him, nothing can top that. Nothing. Nothing I've experienced in my 51 years can touch that that right there. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can touch that as a black man with black men, nothing can touch that experience. When those black men went to grab each other, and, and I mean, we probably hugged a good hundred men in less than, you know, six minutes, because it was just a time, it was just one time. When he said that, everybody just, it was for a good while, people just grabbed each other. And it wasn't that count, you know, it was a look like, you know, I'm going to be there for you. I got your back. I'm going to be there for you. Now, some people may say it didn't laugh, but that's not true. A lot of came. A lot of organizations was birthed out of that. Nobody gonna tell you about that. A lot of organizations was birthed out of that. And I remember that they was asking for people to volunteer and uh, and start a um, what's that? Uh, fostering. And they asked for they asked for people men to to raise up their hand and if you would would, would uh, promise to foster and and they hand, they handed out even a vow that we were supposed to take. And I didn't basically keep the vow because it's basically principles I already live by. I just vowed to keep doing what I was doing. I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's to be it's to be honest. Some people didn't have, um, you know, biblical principles, but it was just things basically to just walk by what the scripture already told us to. You know, don't be calling women bees and all this. And I believe those men were very serious. And if they keep it, I don't know. But I know one thing, that day, and uh, I think a lot of people did keep it, by the way. But I'm going to tell you something, nothing, nothing but nothing can touch the Million Man March. I don't, I mean, it came back with a million family march, and they tried to redo it, but I'm sure every one of those brothers will say nothing can touch that. And uh, like I said, anyway, D.C., I'm back on the meet. See how I spent all this time? But I'm just being honest with y'all. All right, let's move up to uh, – uh, Trying to say what which what should I hit next? There's so many I can go to Atlanta, I can go to Tulsa, I can go to Chicago. Chicago was a very interesting place. Again, again, a lot of enlightenment. I'm just gonna jump around, y'all. Chicago was another one of those moments where I learned a whole lot. Uh, uh, went to Chicago a whole lot because actually uh, American Airlines had a hub there, and I would always fly American. And so I learned a whole lot. I've experienced a whole lot with black people. You know, they so many productive, uh, influential black people in there. Uh, but I learned a lot about uh, our people and the vainness of Jet and Ebony. Uh, this is the Jet and Ebony, uh, the whole thing there on Michigan Avenue. And uh, I just began to get a revelation that our people wasn't doing as, uh, how can I say this, 
Chicago is one of the, the places that I learn about our people as far as uh, success. You know, John H. Johnson, I saw him, uh, and I begin to see that the way they handled Jet uh, Ebony, the company Essence, you know, just 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 visiting there and, and seeing I see everything, but just a little bit I've seen kind of broke my heart just a little bit because I thought it would be a little different type of company. And I began to, and it made me start looking a little closer at Jet and Ebony and Essence. And, and even tonight, today, I actually looked at a copy, and I, I quit looking at Jet and Ebony probably because of my experience of, of them in Chicago. And it's just some more rich people, some more rich people that are not sensitive to uh, what we really need as a people. We don't need more money. I don't think black folk need more money. I think we need to 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 disperse the money we have a little different. You know, they say if the money that black people made stayed in their hands, I think it's three times if it changed hands three times within the black community. Just three times. In other words, the bulk of our money if it went to black companies and you know, we just spent if it just changed hands three times among black people, that we become the seventh richest nation in the world. Now, again, we talked about there's over 200 nations. So if you got you get to thinking about how you become the seventh richest nation, ain't that something like Germany or something? I mean, that is a powerful, powerful statement. And I begin to start looking at Ebony and Jed and what they was doing with their money, what they was pushing us to. And, and yes, we need to know about black accomplishments and who the black, the first black this and the first black that. But you can look at Jed and Ebony, and all you're going to see where it comes down to God and the precepts and the concept that the Most High said that we have to obey in order to be a success, it's missing out of all those magazines. Anything they produce right there on Michigan Avenue, anything they authorize to be put in those magazines, you would never see nothing that inspires us spiritually. That's my take on it. It's one reason I quit subscribing. And I was very, you know, it's just all about materialism. You know, the more materialism we get, we think we're more successful. Some of y'all still don't lost y'all mind. And all you're doing is just switch, switching places with, with our white brothers and sisters. They have proven very clear that truly to have more is not a it's not a, a, a sign of success. It just means just success. And I don't even know if it's this material material success. Let me let me say something to y'all. If a person is filthy rich and they did not acquire that wealth in a way where their children is happy with them because they never saw dad, is that a success? That's a question to you. If they acquired that money in a way to where their wives were not happy the years they acquired that money is a success. That's a question for you. If they acquired that money and their body is not happy with how they acquired that wealth to the degree that it's now riddled with disease and pain and early death, is that a success? Wealth in the hands of a fool is not a success. 
was in the hand of somebody that don't know how to use it is child abuse. This is why I don't believe in the prosperity message we hear from some of these preachers that God wants us all wealthy. I don't think God wants us all wealthy. I don't think God wants us all with no needs, with nothing needed. I don't think the Most High wants us hurting, lacking in no areas. But wealth, they say that the United States is the leading nation for pollution. It will wreak more havoc on the planet than any one nation. That to maintain our way of life causes a lot of our... Uh, this is why government is all over the world exploiting and taking and taking. We have to have that oil in Nigeria or in Iraq or in Saudi Arabia or in, or in wherever. We have to have it because every single thing we do is oil-based. Some of y'all say, well, that's not true. Everything, oil, everything. Just look around your house. Mass production mean machines got to make that. In order for machines make that, they run up this very oil we're fighting for. So we need that. We need that oil. Yes, we cannot continue living the way we live. So watch this. If God wants us all wealthy the way the United States is, says some of these preachers, I'm not going to name their names, then just think of India. India is almost three times bigger than the United States. Maybe it is three times bigger. China and India, pretty much almost bigger than, probably more than three times the size of the United States. What about their poor people? What if the Most High say, if the Most High is saying, I want everybody to live, be rich, according to, that means, first of all, those poor people in the United States, the Most High is saying he wants us all with full cars and mansions and I mean this is what a lot of preachers preach. They say God or they they say God wants you to have wants you to be heard one preacher say God wants us all millionaires. Now just think about that for a second. Then that means he wants all one billion Indians to have the same thing. And then he wants all one billion Chinese to have the same thing. If the United States is destroying the earth, what do you think India is going to do three times Three three more United States on the same planet. It don't make sense. It never made sense. And it causes a lot of us to be trusting the Most High and looking for something he never said he would do. And when he don't come through, we say the Bible don't work, this stuff is a lie. We say this stuff ain't, we say God ain't real, he don't love me. Because he says it right here in this Bible. Because the preacher said this is what this scripture is saying. So we start claiming things and start looking for things that he never said he was going to give us. So some of us say, well, I'm just going to go after it like the world go after it. And we go after it and we abandon family, we abandon our bodies, we abandon our own mind, and we become what I call those that have received the mark. I know y'all can argue what the mark of the beast is, but I personally think it's not a mark you put on people. Like implanting your head I don't believe that Because the Bible says You can be forgiven for it So if it's the uh, Having the mark of the beast Is not the unpardonable sin 
So I don't believe it's no mark. Anyway, I'm getting off a little bit. We're talking about, again, tonight we're talking about entertainment, I mean, enlightenment on my travels in the United States. And I just was talking about, uh, I think we're also on, uh, talking about uh, Chicago and uh, having uh, seen the Ebony Jet, um, Essence Magazine, um, whole set up there on Michigan Avenue and being hurt by the, the vainness, the the the, the the just the just the magazine itself the the just how they are so far from what black people need. Yes, I do thank them for putting out there the first black this the first black that that made us want to strive more. So there is some points I give them, and they definitely definitely deserve that. So it's not all bad, but we don't need black people need. First of all, we got to understand who these people are. These people calling themselves African-Americans is nothing more than Israelites, folks. It's all through the Bible. We are fulfilling prophecy like there is no tomorrow. Nobody, nobody fulfills the prophecies of Deuteronomy 28 like so-called African-Americans. If some other nation can say that they are going through the same pain and the same was put in slave ships and wives was taken by another, another nation from the north, the Bible says that Israel would go through, you have young men, you won't enjoy them, for they'll be taken to captivity. You work all the days of your life, you won't enjoy your labor. You build houses for others, but you won't live in them. It says your ox, which is the thing that make money for you, O-X, ox, your ox, your business shall be violently taken away, and there will be no might in thy hand. So the earth above you, the, the heavens above you, the heavens above you will seem like brass, can't get a prayer through. One one scripture in Leviticus 26, it says that Israel would have it seven times harder than the other nations. How much harder do the so-called African Americans have it over other people? Then Isaiah, I think around 50, the 50, 51, 52 talks about how that at some point it was so bad that there were seven women to one Israelite man. Remember, Moses said the key scripture, if you forget all these scriptures I'm saying, the key scripture for tonight is Deuteronomy 28 and verse 46. Moses is speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel. He's telling them what will happen to them forever. He says it like this, and I'm going to quote the, ver- the verse verbatim. Again, Deuteronomy that's the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, Chapter 28, verse 46 says, speaking of the blessings that's to be upon the nation, this nation, are the curses. Deuteronomy 28, verse 46 says, and they, speaking of the blessings of the curses, and they shall be upon thee for a sign, S-I-G-N, a sign and a wonder, and upon thy seed forever. One more time. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Well, what does a S-I-G-N, a sign, do? A sign identify you. You can identify Israel by these blessings and curses, not by no DNA, not by no holocaust. As much pain as those people went through, I know some people argue it didn't happen. I ain't even going there. I'm going to say what I've seen is pain. 
and I don't wish it upon my worst neighbor. Much respect for the pain that these people went through. But nowhere in the 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Maps, did it say that the Jew will be put in ovens. It's not in the book. None of the things that the Jewish people have went through as a people is in the Bible. Well, they became a nation. Yeah, but they didn't become a nation like the Bible says it. If they did, there would be peace. There would be all this fighting in the Gaza Strip. There would be peace in Israel when Israel becomes a nation. Nothing, and I've been saying this all over the world, especially in Cincinnati, on the WCVG radio station. I've said it, I've put it out there for lots and lots of people to hear, and ain't nobody called me on the carpet yet. So why don't you be the first person to call me on that phone line there in front of you? Nobody can show me where the people in Israel have went through anything in that Bible. They went through a lot of stuff, and my heart goes out to them because people thought they was the real Jews. And when people think you are the real Jews, you don't get treated like dirt. Remember, Israel is supposed to have it better than any other nation if they obey. Deuteronomy 28, first 15 verses. And if they disobey, they're going to have it worse than any other nation. Deuteronomy 28, 16 through 68. Last verse, they will be put in slave ships. When were the Jews in Israel today, so-called Jews, when were they ever as a nation put in ships? Moses said, you be brought back to Egypt in ships and sold as slaves. You don't need no ships to go from no Israel to Egypt. So what was he talking about? I'm not doing this show no justice. I don't drop the ball. I've dropped the ball. I've spent too much time talking about doctrine. We still haven't covered L.A., haven't covered uh, San Diego, haven't covered Seattle, Tacoma, Washington. I was up there. We didn't cover Tulsa, didn't cover Austin, didn't cover all the places all over Texas. Uh, you know, I live in Texas, so obviously there's going to be more experiences there, but I mean all over. I mean, uh, just 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 travels throughout Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, um, Miami, even uh, places like St. Thomas, that's still considered the United States. Lots of experiences, and I'm trying to stick with them, but I just can't. So I dropped the ball. Um, I will say this about, uh, let's just talk about, I'm trying to, which one here has the richest, the most amount of history. Let me say this about, uh, hmm, I got some notes. Y'all bear with me, bear with me. I'll just say this about Tulsa. Tulsa is where we used to have our Bible studies. That's where a lot of this jumped off at. ORU, or Roberts University. Uh, I used to fly there every single weekend because I had a lot of young students that wanted to hear from me. Uh, actually, they already was having a Bible study, but uh, I shouldn't say they want to hear from me because it wasn't just about me. There were some other people having a Bible study. But, yeah, they was excited to know I was coming to town. A lot of times... 
I think there was a few times they actually weren't going to have to study, but when they found out I was coming, they had to study. And it wasn't a whole lot of us, but it was very important because I made the comment that the most I began to start breaking me away from the, the charismatic ministry because I was really believing in people like Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagan, uh, uh, um, just a lot of those people, Happy Caldwell, Kenneth Copeland, you name it. I mean, a lot of them. Oral Roberts was one of my favorites. And he had these big praying hands in the city of faith. Now, if you want to see the most beautiful college probably in the United States, one of them, I think ORU is right up there. ORU in that city of faith, when they had the city of faith and those praying hands, those flags you come in, nothing, nothing, but no college I don't think can touch the entrance of ORU. So, I mean, I've seen a lot of them, but. That college right there, I mean, I live right here at TCU, and, you know, you got the University of Houston, the Big Texas, and SMU. Man, them places can't touch ORU. ORU ain't that big, but it's nice quality. And so, uh, but ORU, God, I said enlightenment on my travel, so let me show you how I was enlightened. Bible says, if when a prophet make a, prophecy and it don't come to pass, then that prophet, that's how you know whether or not they're a true prophet. Somebody once told me that, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and this is, I have to give credit to what credit is to a young lady by the name of Rosalind Scott. Hopefully she's listening. But Rosalind challenged me a long time ago about Farrakhan. She says, how can you listen to this man? She was one of those that says Farrakhan wasn't, I mean, excuse me, excuse me, I'm getting it wrong. I told Rosalind uh, uh, that how could she listen to Farrakhan? This is before I even started listening to Farrakhan. She was the one who introduced me to Farrakhan. I used to say, I can't listen to this man. He don't. He's not a believer. And she says, here I am with a degree by college professors, and I make, she made very good money. I'll just say that, very good money, capital B. And uh, she had a home and BMW paid off lots of stuff she had. Uh, hopefully I'm not putting too much of business out there. And uh, she's doing well, more than it, that, a lot better than the average sister, okay? And she was telling me that all this stuff I have is based on an education I got from racist, not all of them, but some of them, racist professors, or maybe professors that just wasn't racist but just didn't have Africa in heart didn't have black people in heart. They was just, you know, they was just there. And I wasn't making care if I existed a lot. She was just talking about some of the things she went through. And she said, but they gave me a degree. And I've been able to make a living off this degree. She said, now here comes a man, Farrakhan, and he speaks uh, so strong for black people. got to have bodyguards. And she's saying, I've learned a lot from him. Are you telling me that I shouldn't listen to this man who have to have bodyguards to tell the truth? You know, when I've been educated by folks who didn't even hate me, I mean, I hope you all understand where she's going with this, but I'm, I'm making this long story real short. But she, basically, I began to think about that, and that made sense. You know, who this man is, he got to speak with bodyguards. And they, they always talk about Farrakhan. Like he, I used to think he had a lot of weapons because everybody hated him and was so afraid of him, especially the church. So I began to start listening to him. I said, she's made a point. Now, so that was a, a very strong point of enlightenment in my life. 
thanks to Rosalind Scott. You know who you are out there. So Rosalind not only opened the door to start listening to Farrakhan, but when I started listening to Farrakhan, I started listening to other people, Leonard Jeffries, I started listening to John Henry Clark, I started listening to all the names that y'all know. Y'all know them, John Henry Clark, uh, Naeem Akbar, the Hares, uh, uh, just uh, Harvard professor, I uh, can't think of his name, just a lot of names, people that most y'all black people listening right now probably never heard of. And I'm just not, I know I'm being general, but it's the truth because I talk to people all the time. They never heard of Lyndon Jeffrey. They never heard of, uh, uh, you know, uh, J.A. Rogers. They never heard of uh, Ivan Van Sertiman. They never heard of Dr. Ben. They just don't know these people. It's the truth. So Rosalind was one of the persons that introduced me to these people. And I started learning, and it opened up a whole new world for me. So that's enlightenment with a capital E. I mean, I just basically started regurgitating a lot of what I heard in these charismatic because I began to start seeing a lot of this racism, you know. Our education in the United States, if you're educated in the United States, you went through all 12 grades, first, second, third, fourth, and you and you went to college, especially if you have a degree and especially if you have a Ph.D., chances are your education is racist. You probably know nothing of Africa. And that's not to slap you in the face, but we are not taught about Africa. It's just not taught, period. We don't know anything about their leaders. We say they all are corrupt, but why are they corrupt? Why did Coney have to go and create his own army? I know they hating on Coney, and I don't like what he did either, but do you know what creates the things of this world, all the exploitation of Uganda, what got that man upset and said, i got to build my own army to fight these people. I can't trust these grown-ups because they're going to go back and tell the government everything I'm doing. They're going to come after me. So he started killing the grown-ups. They start telling him, you know, he's tried his best to create an army. I'm not trying to justify what that nut did because he went and took it too far, you know, kidnapping those girls and stuff. But here you have all these boys that you got to raise to be men to fight for your country, and then they sitting around with nothing to do. So that's why he went and snatched those girls. They weren't raping those girls. Right? Coney was trying to build a nation, and, you know, it ain't, he ain't the first one. He got those ideas from other folks. He ain't the only one that did it, and I think it's terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. I'm not trying to get no... He was a moron to do that. But you got to understand why. Sometimes you understand crazy people. You understand some logic. This thing was, I'm tired of these Europeans, Americans coming into this country, raping us, taking. They end up getting raped anyway. The girls end up getting raped anyway. Because certain, uh, the West come in and, and fund this, this rebel group or fund that rebel group, and they get raped anyway. So if Coney said, let me get these girls, and they're going to have be wives of these boys, and they're going to have families, or raise up an army. You know, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I'm just saying, folks, we got to understand this stuff. So lots of people are talking about this. The exploitation of Africa, and that's what creates the uh, Alice, uh, what's her name? The, it was a, they had a woman uh, that had a group, what is it, Alice McCauley, something like that, but there was a people. If y'all know, if y'all know the proper names, if you're in the chat room, type it in, please. But it was a young, it was a lady who who was just like Coney. She had her own group, but they was called the Holy Spirit. These was militia groups that went around killing, uh, uh, trying to again free up Uganda, and they went around singing praises. We're talking about armed to the killers in the jungles of Uganda, going around trying to again. Take back that nation 
and then you had her. She had her own group. This is a female again, like a, a modern day Harriet Tubman. Coney is just one warlord. There's lots of them. The different people try to take. It's all about getting you gone the back. They ain't just killing folks. Just be killing people, raping little girls. It's not that. Not what happened. Again, you can't trust nothing the West say. Nothing. But anyway, thanks to uh, Rosalind Scott for opening up my mind because with Fred, that's why I have so much respect for him. Listening to him got my mind to really start thinking about the freedom of our people. And I started listening to all these other brighter minds, men that had a lot more facts than Farrakhan. Farrakhan just blew the whistle and just began to talk about the racism. But then once you can understand that racism and you quit trusting these white uh, uh, sources, these, these Caucasian biased folks, that's not hatred on them. That's just saying that, and I'm not just talking about white, I'm talking about black, I'm talking about you, some of y'all. It's just we're not educated properly. You can't trust your own brains. We've been educated. It's almost like this is why a lot of Africans don't like us, because here they are Africans, and we've been saying for ages, I'm not African. Some of y'all still saying that. This is a self-hate that only the most high can deliver us from. Of course you African fool. All us from Africa. Everybody on the planet is from Africa. Civilization, like Dick Gregory said with his crazy self, it was a good joke. It was a good joke. He said civilization started in Africa. The animals. <laughs> I mean, you can lie about history and break off noses of the Sphinx and knock off noses on this statue and knock off lips on that statue, but you ain't about to go move no 7,000 rhinoceros, 8,000 Giraffe, seven million birds. You can move all them animals. So he is so right. The genius, ingeniousness of Dick Gregory. But it was through this young sister. So all of you young sisters out there, don't feel like you're powerless. Now this sister is, just, is a computer programmer, but she challenged my belief on this Tulsa ORU praying hands, and she said, "I believe Oral Roberts is a fake prophet." I just got a message that I got 90 seconds on the show. So if you're in the chat room, you want to listen to this show, you got to call the 760-283-0838. Again, you got to call that number 760-283-0838 because I got something very strong to drop on y'all before this is over with. I'm telling you, you know what I missed a few last few words. I'm not just trying to hype it up. I'm telling y'all I got a lot to drop on you, okay? So you've been warned, 760-283-0838. Call that number. It's got like 60 seconds now, okay? So anyway, I began to start listening to all these different people. So when I would go to these Bible studies in Tulsa, I began to start sharing how Or Roberts dropped the ball. You know, he had said that God going to take his life if he don't raise a certain amount of money. And, he, and, you know, he ended up losing the city of faith. Yet y'all know that the city of faith no longer belongs to ORU. And he ended up, they no longer, they, they no longer I think they had the praying hand where they were. So all that by God said he was going to open up. Everyone's prophecy was that God was going to fill up this hospital with sick people. It didn't happen. It never happened. Uh, he had two nice towers. These towers look better than some banks do. Just Google it. You'll see. He only filled one tower, and at the best, it was three-fourths of the way full. So maybe half full. It was nice. It was beautiful. Never seen no college 
I've never seen any um, buildings. I don't think I've seen a, nothing like an ORU. I've seen a lot of beautiful things, but ORU was something. Anyway, make the long story short, that began to really catch on like wildfire. A lot of the students were coming around listening, and at first they didn't like me for that because they loved ORU, and I said, I love him too. But I feel like he missed the most highness. And so we started talking about racism and white supremacy and uh, not so much the one-world government, but we start talking about the Israelite question and different things. And people begin to start really waking up in the Tulsa area. And uh, if you will go on my site right now at uh, Yahoo, I mean at uh, Facebook, you will actually see a brother named John Clark. John Clark is a strong Israelite brother. He's a strong Hebrew Israelite. You'll see another brother named Gary Ellison. Gary Ellison it runs Israel Now, Israel Now. It's a blog on Blog Talk Radio, and he runs it. It's called Israel Now. Uh, that brother is one of the brothers that woke up on this journey. I actually challenged him, and he was one of those that really was upset with me, talking about Oral Roberts. So when I began to say to him that Oral Roberts uh, missed the ball, that he didn't hear from God at, uh, at all because the, that city of faith wasn't filled, and he felt like, who are you? Well, we had a big argument, and the next day, Gary called me in tears, and I do mean crying like uh, like you would, like you did when you was a child. He called me a grown man crying, saying, "You know, Most High showed me." He didn't say the Most High; he said God showed me what you were saying was true. And he just began to just now say, "Hey, man, you know, we all learn now. You know, because who am I? You know, I can be wrong, but it says it right there in the book that if a prophet says something, don't come to pass." That prophet don't represent the most high. So I begin to share that. We start studying. And, I mean, Gary, remember he's already in college, him and John Clark, uh, again, they're on my Facebook. Their brother's already in college, and so they just begin to grow and deal with the education they was getting there. They begin to grow, grow, grow. John uh, was majoring in, um, I think he was a uh, finance uh, broker, mortgage broker. But, anyway, make the long story short, they are warriors, soldiers out here. With Gary has over 1,500 people following him on Facebook, and that's all he talk about is this kind of stuff. And these brothers can break down the Hebrew days. To, and y'all should check out Israel Now. That's one of their shows, and they and they team up. It's, actually, it's three of them. It's him and John Clark and another brother from Cincinnati, and they have one of the hottest shows on Block Talk, Talk about Israel Now, and they go, they're very, very sharp. I'm telling you, they're sharp. But these brothers... Uh, these Gary and John was two of the people that the Most High used me uh, to help wake them up, and uh, so they they strong in some areas they're way stronger than I am. So that's the way it is. Again, enlightenment things that have enlightened uh, me on my travels. Um, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. How can I ever forget Cincinnati? I almost forgot to mention this, but I moved from Cincinnati, and I, uh, when I first moved there, I came across a station called WCVG. Still, it's still on there, and a young lady by the name of Tracy Hunter, which I need to invite her on the show because she used to have a radio station on land radio station. I used to call there all the time with these five topics, these five smooth stones, these five topics I share, and I begin to start talking to her about. You know, we are the true Israelites and the New World Order. And Tracy used to think I was crazy. And right now, Tracy is running for judge right there in the city. And uh, very smart lady. 
and, I'm, and this is a strong testimony. This is one of the things I was going to drop on y'all that's powerful. So if you call uh, um, the phone lines, uh, great. But watch this. I started talking to her about this, and people calling and saying, hey, brother, every time he called you, I was talking about race, 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 race. And Tracy used to give me the hardest time, and I shouldn't mention her name, but it's just the truth. This is everybody heard. This is public knowledge. And uh, I called for maybe 10 years. I was in Cincinnati for 19 years uh, to move from Fort Worth. And so anyway, I was up there, and I began to just start sharing with the Cincinnati people because it was the only gospel radio station up there. And I began to hear, people could hear all the way over into parts of Indiana, even parts of Dayton. And, I mean, this is a big radio station. At least it covered a lot of areas. Okay, so speed, fast forward. I began to start getting momentum. People start beginning to say, well, it do make sense. It do make sense. And I said, well, just look at Deuteronomy 28 and 46. Moses said that these are things that are going to happen to Israel. Look at what he said was going to happen to Israel and see who's living these out. What nation is living out these particular blessings or these particular curses? Find them. Whoever they are, they are the true Jews. They are the true Jews. You can't go by DNA. You can't go by political things. You can't go by the fact that these people live in Israel. So what? They live in Israel. We live in the United States, but we ain't from the United States. White men live in the United States, but they want the, they're not the indigenous people. You can't go by that. I mean, I just was going on hidden, 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 hidden every day, every day, every day, every day. Make the long story short, they started inviting me to the station or allowing me to come to the station. So I would go and I would share. Next thing you know, I started getting invited more, getting invited more. So I began to speak more and more and more. Then sometime I, the people start saying, when Brother Seth called him, when, uh, you know, every time you call, I take out my pen and paper. You know, next thing you know, Tracy started kind of coming around. Other callers come around. She was the manager at the time. I shouldn't probably call her name now. She probably wouldn't like that. But it's the truth. Everybody knows it, so it shouldn't hurt. Make the long story short, and by the way, Tracy is one of the, uh, a good attorney there in the city. So this ain't no fool you're dealing with. This is a powerful woman. She happened to be the manager of that station uh, attorney and, like I said now, soon to be a judge. But uh, minister also, um, make the long story short, she began to start coming around. And I would go to Israel every single year from 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Every year I would go, I stopped in 8, but I, every year I would go, I would take people with me. I mean, I would ask her every single year, hey, you want to go, you want to go, because I knew she owned that red, not, well, managing that radio station. I knew that she had a lot of influence, so I would invite family members and certain key people. She was one of the first I would invite every year, every year, every year. She gave me a hard time, hard time. Watch this. Check this out. This is going to be interesting. So eventually, Tracy began to understand what I was saying with regards to the racism. She began to see it because she was an attorney. You know, attorneys see it like no other. They see it, see it, because they are going to get people off the hook, and they see how racist the court systems are. So she began to start blowing the whistle her own way on racism. And I told her one day that I felt like I was called to deal with racism. But I am. I am called to deal with racism. But I'm also called to deal with the other four topics as well that we call five smooth stones, four and one. So... Make the long story short, and I'm fast-forwarding this up very much. Ten years pass. Finally, Tracy says, I'll go to Israel with you. But I, and I told her, look, I know you may not trust me. You don't know me that well. So you can bring a friend of yours, a couple of friends of yours, if you like, and, and uh, I'll give you all the best discount because I was able to get people to Israel very, very, very cheap. So I told them the price, and they couldn't believe the price. 
They say, you serious? I said, that's your price. You serious? That's, and it was just nothing, really. I mean, it's very little. And so she brought along a prosecuting attorney. So it was her, the attorney, and the prosecuting attorney, you know, smart people. So they came, and they went to Israel with me, demanding to be specific. And they got to see, they went on the trip called the Hidden Ones, uh, and they began to be taken all over Israel and see the black faces that I've been telling about on the radio station. They begin to see the indigenous people of Israel, and they begin to see, and they begin to see, and they begin to see all these Tiberias, and they begin to see Bethlehem, they begin to see all these places. And all of a sudden, she looked at me like, oh, my God, this boy was telling the truth. Then we went into Israel where all the cameras was. Everything turned white, including the images on the walls. Everything turned white. So Tracy and her guests began to start understanding they've been lied to, especially when they see the way the people in Demona, the, the black Israelites, that communicated with our white brothers and sisters in Israel that called themselves Jews. Wasn't no hatred. Handled them with care, respect. Spoke Hebrew like they did. Kept the feast days like they did. Not trying to follow them, copy them, but kept the feast days by their definition. And they saw that these so-called Jews would come to Demona and see how they do things and learn from them and begin to start doing some things like they did. Start putting the people in Demona on certain boards in Israel. Nobody going to hear about that. You never hear about that on CNN. And start befriending Demona and eventually gave them permanent citizenship. Now, listen to me, folks. This woman and I probably shouldn't be saying her name because it's like I'm talking behind her back. But again, uh, I'm just testifying about what the Most High have done with me on my travels in the United States. We're talking about Cincinnati, but this actually carried us to Israel. Make the long story short, on the plane back, the, the, the so-called Jews would pray they let them take over the kitchen on the aircraft. I know this sounds crazy, but the flight attendants actually leave the kitchen and let the rabbis go back there and pray because they have this custom where they got to pray. And the Israeli government and the airlines came to an agreement where they're going to let these priests take over the kitchen and just pray in the kitchen. So on a flight when you're going to Israel, don't be shocked if you see all these priests putting on these on the different uh, things that they wear, and they all go to the back of the aircraft, and they're back there holding hands and they're praying. Yes, it's going to happen on your flight. And Trace asked me, why are they going back there? And I told him, well, this is something they do on every flight. And she said, why are they doing that? We're the real Israelites. If I'm lying, I'm flying. And that might not seem like nothing to you, but, you know, when you have a 10-year battle trying to get people to see the light, and we're talking about intelligent Smart people, you know, again, attorneys, possibly the next judge, minister of the gospel, 
This ain't no little believe anything you see. But she began to hear the history because one thing about Demona when you go there, they you go to a museum and they share with you line up on line what happened to the so called African Americans. How they was brought to slave ships and how everything about the African American is biblical based. Everything they ever went through as a people is in the Bible. Everything. No, not everything. Yes, everything they have ever been through is right there in the book. But everything that the so-called Jews that live in Israel today, everything, nothing they have went through, I should say, nothing they have went through as a nation, as a nation, remember what I said, as a nation is in that Bible. I guess the only thing you could say is the most I said I will call them from the north to occupy Israel as a punishment. That's the only thing. But that's not Israel. That's what he was going to do with some people from the north. He said, I will call a, a nation from the north. We're talking about Jeremiah 1, where he says, I will call all of the families of the north down to Israel. Read your Bible, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. It's not that long. He says, I will call all ALL, all the families of the north into Jerusalem. What's north of Jerusalem? Of course, Spain, Great Britain, all these new names, but these are countries in the north. That's who those people are. Simple and plain, no disrespect to them. So, folks, this is what I, this is the enlightenment. And I guess that's more of uh, my friend's enlightenment that, that I ran that station. But that's what happened in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is also a place where they have a Hebrew-Israelite community there, uh, uh, a brother by the name of Elisha, very controversial brother. A lot of ministers are afraid of him, scared to death, shaking their bones. If you live in Cincinnati, and under the sound of my voice, y'all know it's true. Ministers are scared of him because his brother know the Bible with regards to who we are as a people. And nobody have an answer for him. But I didn't run from him. He don't the reason they scared of him is because he don't acknowledge Christ. He don't believe in the New Testament, he believes in the Old Testament. And he is, I would say, um he, he knows the Old Testament, but he just blind where Christ is in the Old Testament and prophesied to come into the New. Make the long story short, Cincinnati is a very enlightening place because uh, I spent time with this brother, never intimidated by him, and I saw how the word, if you would just use it, will put all kind of people in that place. Now, I never debated the brother, and I'm not afraid to, but I never debated Alicia, but I saw... Uh, and I read, ran across a whole lot of followers. We talked, we talked. I just decided to not fellowship with him because we don't believe in Christ. But we definitely believe in us being Israel. So uh, Elisha is there. Lots of Israelites is, is in the city of Cincinnati. Don't let nobody fool you. Lots of them do believe in Christ, by the way. Uh, but a lot of them don't. And that's the downfall of a lot of these Israelite brothers. So the young people that come into this knowledge and they don't know how to use the Bible to see Christ. So that's the downfall. But is but Cincinnati is a lot is a place where I
did a lot of warring and battling, not just at WCBG, but at the uh, just all over the city there, sharing this knowledge and seeing our people go through they fulfilling scripture like crazy in the Cincinnati area with regard to the pain and the different things that Israel will go through. I saw the most I used, uh, the, the whole, uh, when they had the riots there, and he was instrumental. I think I was using the most high. I remember when CNN came there to to tape that whole event, and uh, I was one of those people that went around. I ain't going to lie, I was the only person I know went around uh, trying to get those young brothers to talk to CNN, talk to ABC, talk to the cameras they hear. This is when I, I, I forgot the main thing. I'm jumping around too much here. Uh, uh, this is when they had shot 21 unarmed black men in the city of Cincinnati. City of Cincinnati. They had shot 21 unarmed black men. And there was outcry and riots broke out. And I was going around the city and uh, just share with young people how they need to tell their story. Tell while the cameras are here what y'all going through. Don't y'all be looking at like this the white man here. No, go up to them people. Them people are powerful. They got camera. They'll film you. Tell the world what you're going through. That's what King used to do. He used to go to the Martin King Jr. used to go to the jails and while the cameras on him, he would say, Y'all how are they treating y'all? And then while the cameras was going, the whole world would see. He got that off a guy and good move, slick move by King. But I was trying to get them to speak to the camera, let them know what's going on. And uh, it was just amazing how no matter where I turned, somebody always walked to me and said, can I interview you? Can I interview you? And I was on TV, I know, probably three or four times. And I mean, I'm just coming home from work and minding my own business, and there they are. And I said, watch this cameraman walk up to me. I have all these people here, and he'll walk straight up to me. Well, what do you think? And somebody will tell me, I saw you on you know, but the most I was using, not just me, for real, you know, I'm not, come on, for real, not just me. He was using his people, shaking up that city, and I remember the boycott. You know, I didn't put a great part in that. The most I was just using us to do different things. You know, different people had different angles. There were some people that was starting up the boycott, and Cincinnati had one of the most successful boycotts in the United States, where they had a lot of celebrities told them, don't come here. And, you know, the, the likes of uh, people like James Brown and Bill Cosby and uh, uh, Whippy Goldberg, lots of midnight stars, lots of stars. They were saying, don't you come to Cincinnati. I got in trouble because Harry Belafonte came there, and they said, well, we think you should spend some time with him. And uh, I'm like, why me? I haven't done that much in the, in the in we're in this particular area. Well, I had, but not like some other people had. But they wanted me to, so Harry Belafonte flew in, and me and Damon Lynch Jr. entertained Harry Belafonte. Maybe Damon did, but I was there with him. And uh, at the at the radio station, uh, not WCVG, there was another second. I can't think of it now. On AM, y'all know those y'all Cincinnati, but I was interviewing Harry Belafonte there on the inter- on the radio, and came out, and uh, one of the activists, Nate Livingston was giving me a hard time because they said that we told y'all we don't want nobody coming to this city. So these brothers were serious. I mean, see, I respect the activists in Cincinnati more than I do anywhere in the whole country. You know, uh, they really made an outcry. Surely they were fulfilling prophecies by the pain 
that they experienced. But again, the the activists there in that city and what God did through us, the Most High did through using us in that city was amazing. I can't talk about it like I want to tonight. Y'all, I'm running out of time. Got to wrap this show up. But I'm telling y'all, Cincinnati probably have the most strongest activists in anywhere in the United States. These brothers are serious. They ran all. They cost the city millions. They ran away. Even the jazz festival left because of the boycott. Lots of celebrities couldn't come there because of the boycott. Lots of millions and millions and millions of dollars. And uh, then uh, the biggest thing to me that happened there, told you I had a lot of, I'm telling you, as, as I'm talking, things come to my mind. Remember I told you for 10 years I was on that radio station constantly talking about racism over and over and over and over again. Well, guess what happened? Cincinnati had the first ever in the country, probably, well, I'm going to say the country, I ain't going to say the world, but the first summit on racism in the church, for the church, that big. We brought in, I'm going to say we brought in because I wasn't a part of the planning process, but they brought in T.D. Jakes, Fred Price, and a lot of, uh, uh, the guy that calls himself the, the that everybody calls the uh, historian of the church. That's his title in the country. He is the historian of the church. Can't think of his name. He authored very many, but very powerful people. But they brought a lot of powerful ministers like the T.D. Jakes and the Fred Prices, and they brought them in, and they dealt with racism. And that right there, i got to tell you all another day, that, that racism conference by itself, I can have a show on it, it was powerful, 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 and I feel like with me hitting the the waves, airwaves with that racism every day, every day, every day, just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. I think that's what caused that thing to jump off like that. I promise you, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. I mean, every day I was saying, "Where's the white church? Where's the white church? We got 21 unarmed black men." You know, first we had like 12 and then 13 and 14 and 15. I was just saying, where is the white church? Where is the white church? We're so divided. Sunday is still the most segregated time. They don't care about us. You know, they feel like it's those people. And I was just, just hitting that white church, telling them how, how racist we are, how separated we are, the racist philosophies. And I was just hitting it every day, every day, every day. And then we have a conference on racism. I'm not trying to say I brought that. I didn't. I didn't even plan it. But I will tell you this. I got a free seat, and the conference representative, the guy who did plan it, said, we're going to give you a complimentary seat. And I take the complimentary seat as he didn't say this. I'm saying this. I take the fact that he gave me a complimentary complimentary seat because you have to register because I fought so hard against the demons of racism in that city. I spoke out. If it was somebody else calling every day, I'd mention their name, but it wasn't, at least not at first. Maybe about five years later, other people began to call. But I remember every day, often sometimes I was the only one, people constantly calling and saying, that guy, he's so divisive, he just want to divide us, he just want to divide us. But in the end, they began to see that I was strictly trying to unite, not divide, and even the GM herself, Miss Tracy Hunter, again, successful lawyer there in the city of Cincinnati. And uh, if you're listening, God bless you, Miss Tracy. And I'm going to have to invite you on the show one day. But uh, she saw in the end that I was not making this thing up with, whole, with, with regards to Israel. There are 4,000 Hebrew Israelites throughout the nation of Israel that claims to be 
the true house of David, the true house of Israel, the true Jews. They don't have hatred for the people that live there. They live side by side, but they just happen to believe they are the real Jews. I've missed a lot of other cities. Maybe I'll do another show. I've kind of got a track on certain things, but there's still to come. Again, San Diego, Seattle, San Francisco, L.A. We really didn't get to deal with L.A. too much. Just a lot of other places, folks, I've been, just didn't get a chance to really share. Um, so maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. I had a very interesting experience in St. Louis, Missouri. I'll say this real quick. A guy by the name was Jefferson Edwards. Jefferson Edwards. Looking up on the internet, those of y'all with your computers out, you feel like typing. Jefferson Edwards is probably one of the forerunners dealing with racism way before me in the country. This brother has a ministry dealing with racism. I mean, uh, you can't get no more. Other than Farrakhan, I'd say it'd be Jefferson Edwards, man. This guy. In a loving way, but hitting like a sword, not holding no punches, he deal with racism in the church. And uh, I went up to his uh, international um, headquarters. Actually, I challenged his book called Chosen Not Cursed. Chosen Not Cursed, but there's a book called Chosen Not Cursed. I challenged his book, and he believes that Hamels, uh, Black, Japheth, Japheth was white. And Shem was yellow And I challenged that, that rainbow theory And told them that all three of the brothers Was dark skinned people And uh, when I begin to start And that's a whole other conversation Maybe next show we'll do one more show maybe And I'll finish up all these little things that I, But this was powerful I could spend a, a whole show talking about just Jefferson Edwards and what happened in St. Louis there I mean uh, uh, Missouri Missouri wasn't St. Louis Was it St. Louis? He lives in Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri is where the headquarters is. But anyway, I went up and uh, I challenged his book, and he saw that I, I put, I showed some serious holes in that book. He invited me and uh, had, you know, sent his sent a, a chauffeur driver to the airport to pick me up and treated me and gave me the first first uh, red carpet treatment. Went to his ministry and he sat there at his desk and I actually began to stand up. He knows the truth. And begin to just share these five stones. He was blown away, especially white supremacy and the whole revelation of the Hebrew Israelites. Jefferson Edwards changed his tone. I told him that you know he need to he should probably stop using the term fair skin. And if you're looking at Jefferson Edwards today, you'll never hear him say fair skin anymore. And you shouldn't use it either. White people do not have fair skin. Fair means beautiful. Does not mean white. Again, fair means beautiful, does not mean white. Nowhere in the Bible does it say fair skin means white. There's one of those things that people just say. Again, white supremacists teach this. Folks start repeating it, and they don't have no backings. No such thing as fair skin. You ever heard of the term fair speeches? And how a speech going to be white? You ever heard of the term fair weather? And how a weather going to be white? But more importantly, if you look at the Hebrew and look at the word fair, it don't matter if you look at the Hebrew, it don't matter. That word don't mean white nowhere. It means beautiful. You know, you are the fairest. My love was the fairest. It don't mean they was the whitest. Fair, F-A-I-R, simply means beautiful. 
and white supremacists went into the Bible, could have been black people. A white supremacist can be a black person. It just means they have a mind to just give whites all the glory. They begin to look at that, and they start associating this word fair with white skin. Jefferson don't use it anymore, and by now, hopefully, he's teaching that who the true Israelites are. They are anybody that's went throughout the Islamic 28, scattered throughout the four corners. They're in South Africa. They're in East Africa. They're in West Africa. They're in India. They're in China. They're all over the planet. They're even in Europe. So a small, small, small percentage, and I'm glad I waited to say this last, a small percentage of those people in Israel to this day is the true Israelites. I believe that. I believe that because Israel went, the Bible says it was carried into all nations. And north of Israel is nation, nations, plural. Now, I know there's only 70. I don't know how many when you look at the number 70, but there are nations north of Israel that these Israelites, these dark-skinned people was taken. Last but not least, in Cincinnati also, moving, going back to Cincinnati, I met a brother named Terry. And uh, he's not the one that told me about the uh, Kazaria nation, how the white Jews. So where did they come from? Some people might ask. If they're not the real Jews, where did they come from? Where did they get their jewelry? And uh, he, Brother Terry in Cincinnati, was one of the ones that came across the most information. But I already knew about it. I already heard about it several times. But he just warned one of the brothers I met that was more in depth with his study. Again, he is one of the hosts of Israel now. Uh, Brother Terry from Cincinnati, I'll share his story and I'm wrapping this show up. Was another brother I took to Israel. When I told you I'd take people to Israel, I took this brother to Israel. And uh, he was trying on a bracelet. And some people said to him, some, some Jewish Brothers said to him, why are you trying it on? I mean, he said to them, this is too little. Do you have a bigger size? And they say, no, not really. And he says, no, I mean, he said, this bracelet is too little. Do you all have like a bigger size? And they was kind of like blowing him off kind of. And he was like, they kind of act like they don't want to really help me. He said, all I want is just a bracelet to make it a, a larger size. I mean, a larger size. And they said, well, it don't really matter. He said, why does it don't matter? They said, these so-called Jewish kids said to him, I say kids, it was, it was uh, young young men. They said to him, because you're not Jewish. And he began to start talking about how they were Jewish. This is a brother from Cincinnati. I know I've shared this story before, but we're talking about Cincinnati. Here's another time, Cincinnati, again, being an enlightenment. Brother Terry began to share with these people how did their forefathers come from a land called Kazaria. And the king of Kazaria didn't want his people to be Christians or Muslims. So what he did, the king did, was converted to Judaism and had his people, his followers, his subjects, to convert to Judaism. And this was when this many white people converted to Judaism, which was not a white religion at the time or wasn't a white practice, whatever you want to call it. But over time, they have just to claim it as their own, as them being the Jews when, in fact, they converted. At the end of Terry's presentation, these white young, so-called Jewish young men said to him, nothing you have said 
can we agree with? Can we disagree with? Nothing you have said can we disagree with. I told Terry, you should have said to them, and by the way, Terry goes by the name uh, Yahshua when he's hosting the show called Israel now, just so y'all know that. Brother Yahshua is the brother I'm talking about. It's Brother Yahshua, Brother Gary, and Brother John, Israel now on Blog Talk Radio. And if you go, let them know Brother Seth sent you. Please, please let them know that. Say, Brother Seth sent you. It's very important. I said, Brother Terry, you should have told that brother after he said, nothing have you said that we disagree with. In other words, we agree with everything you said. Well put. You should have said to them, I'll take this bracelet free. 